Hey, everybody, before we get into the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor. It's a film called Sir John A. and the Curse of the Antiquenched. It's a fun film, and you can get it on Vimeo On Demand right now for only $2.99. Check out curseoftheantiquenched.com. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? Welcome to the Raiders of the Lost Commentary podcast. Welcome to Jurassic Park. The unofficial commentary for your favorite... Get to the chopper! And not-so-favorite films. The famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Starring your hosts, Adam and Matt. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Start your movie in three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This week, we have another special uh, two guests, actually. Uh, on the podcast this week, I have Matt Rutledge and Zara Fithian. Fithian? Uh, I knew I would screw it up. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> we're talking about uh, their film, Tribal Get Out Alive. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having us on. Of course. Um, so I thought I'd just maybe start off and uh, have you each introduce yourselves and uh, give, your, give a little background uh, on yourselves uh, in the film business, how you got into it and, and all that. Do you want to go first, Matt? I can go first. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, well, to, to basically, I started off by doing a media production course at university after that, I always wanted to do martial arts films, so I started trying to put myself in homemade videos of martial arts that I would get my friends to shoot. Um, did a couple of show reels, managed to try and shoot a TV pilot quite a long time ago, about 20 years ago, and somehow the show reel ended up in the hands of Sammo Hung, who was casting for the Jackie Chan movie. Got picked to be in a Jackie Chan movie, and from there on in, I've just been working... Uh, as a stuntman sometimes, as a stunt coordinator sometimes, as a fight choreographer. So that's pretty much my background. Um, I've always been obviously influenced by martial arts films and always would love to make martial arts films. And recently I've fallen more into the directing side and the action directing side, which obviously it's taken quite a few years to get me to where I am now. But, uh, you know, very pleased that I'm getting the opportunity to to finally get to direct feature films, of which Tribal is pretty much the first. Your first feature film you, you've ever yeah. directed? Okay, well, congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yay, woo! <laughs> you did an awesome job. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, so I play the role of Caitlin in Tribal, and um, my background really um, started in martial arts. I've been martial arts since I was seven years old and started in Shotokan Karate and then sort of cross-trained in kickboxing, taekwondo and other styles. And I used to compete around the world, which I used to love. I used to love the traveling aspect of that. Um, and I was spotted in America and was invited to come over and take part in a low-budget sci-fi film, at which point I had no interest in sort of acting or, you know, being in front of the camera. It was just all about my sort of, comp you know, competitive career. That was my main focus at that time. Um, but when I came back to the UK after kind of being over there for four or five weeks, um, a lot of my friends in the martial art industry were screen fighters or they were working in stunts and then started working in sort of commercials and TV stuff. And I sort of fell into that with them and kind of found the bug for sort of acting and stunt work and, and you know, um, choreographing fights and just kind of getting into all of that, really. And then from there, got an agent and just started picking up jobs um, and then decided to kind of 
end my competitive career and just really focus on working as an actor and uh, a stunt performer. Um, yeah, which is which has been amazing for the last sort of, sort of ten years or so. And then fast forward a few years, um, we, I've known Matt for many years, and um, Matt was actually on board of one of the very first features that I worked on, um, which was which was really cool back in the day. And um, it was called Underground back then. Actually, I think it got renamed to um, Twelve, but. Um, anyway, moving forwards, and that's how I met Matt. And then um, myself and my partner um, approached Matt and see if he'd like to sort of direct Tribal because of his action background uh, and his love of martial arts and action. And we, you know, he's a great, great guy, got a great um, eye for action, and we thought he'd be the ideal person to direct Tribal. So that's how we kind of collaborated and got together on this. Well, that's a good segue then to bring up just like uh, where the initial idea for Tribal came. And uh, I, I'm also very intrigued by the locations you got in the film. They're obviously mm. like amazing production value you managed to get out of all, all of that. So maybe you can talk a bit about that. Like what's the, uh, you know, the initial thing that brought this project to, you know, put it onto a script and decide, you know, we want to make this thing. And then how did you get it made at that point? Like bring me through some of that process. I think that's more for you, Z, isn't it, to start off? Yeah, on, it, it on. just it's kind of both. As I'll, I'll start that off because then Matt came on board as well. So basically, um, Vic wrote the initial concepts uh, of Tribal, and I had some input in that as well. So the original concept is quite different from from the story now, from Tribal as it is today. But I think we had some good ideas, and some of those elements and the characters were kept in in the story now in Tribal. Um, so we kind of had a few of the cast. Um, members in mind and some of them were already cast people like Ross O'Hennessy who plays Brad uh, Thomas Dodd who plays uh, Rich Kenning Rachel Warren and, and Grayson Matthews so there's a few of the cast members that were already kind of in place um, with the original story and then we approached Matt to be the director because we thought he'd be perfect for the job and and Matt was able because initially Tribal was was very much horror based and when Matt came on board he sort of added more action in there um, he then uh, sort of took it to a scriptwriter and editor, Johnny Walker, who rewrote the story of Tribal and gave it a different structure. And it sort of had a, a, a better blend of horror and action. So there was definitely more action scenes in there, um, thanks to Matt. But Matt was Matt had quite a big deal, as, as well as Thomas Dodd and Natalie Burns, our production manager, in finding the locations in Liverpool. So I'll let Matt talk to you about the locations in Liverpool. Yeah, we um, we got some fantastic locations. Um, it also a privilege for me to film in pretty much my hometown of Liverpool, which was great um, to do a martial arts film. There is a double privilege, but we we got uh, some places such as the old uh, Williamson Tunnels, which is the underground of Liverpool. That's very very rarely seen. Um, there was another tunneling area which which was. Uh, the Dingle Tunnels, which is also a, an underground uh, train and rail system that's not been used for quite a number of years. And they oh, just wow. have, as you can see in the film, they just give such a tremendous look, even, mm -hmm. you know, cinematically. They look great when you light it in the right way. It really brings across that atmosphere. Um, when you obviously when everybody watches the film it, it, you know it speaks for itself when you see the locations um, so we were very very lucky we found an enormous amount of the underground locations in obviously in Liverpool so um, yeah very lucky because you'd, you'd normally spend a fortune trying to build a set like that I think in real life yeah, yeah well, 
when I when I watched it, I thought maybe they knew they could get these locations, so they wrote around it. But I'm I'm guessing like it was in the script. It was kind of indescriptive or undescriptive uh, underground tunnels, and then whatever we find, we're gonna kind of rewrite and tweak to fit. Or yeah. The original story um, that Vic wrote, we sort of based it on the Nottingham Caves and the underground system in my hometown. And I think when Johnny Walker rewrote the story and the scripts, um, we sort of kept that underground um, element to it. So I don't think we, we didn't necessarily have the tunnels or the locations at that point, but we just knew that it was going to be this sort of underground layer. Um, and Matt obviously knows Liverpool very well, as does Thomas. And I think we just, we not and not just the underground locations, but some of the other locations that we use, like Lister Library and um, uh, Allerton Towers and these, these other places that, that we were able to film in. These guys kind of location scouted for, um, you know, yeah, they, they those guys put a lot of time in finding the right locations. And there were some locations that these guys did find. They were like, oh, that's cool, but actually, ah, let's keep looking. Let's get something um, more impressive or that, that really sort of stands out. And those those guys did a really great job. And the, the Dingle Tunnel um, was a great find as well, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we, we obviously, uh, some of the tunneling looks slightly different. Um, but it, it work. It all works for the film in the way the film flows because obviously mm. some are some are thin, some are larger, some are darker, some are brighter, um, and I think it all blends in very well when you see the film. Um, Dingle particularly had some really useful. Uh, we found a couple of areas of the tunnel that we could use a, a specific area of it as well, and uh, there's a very nice shot I think near the end of the film. Uh, with, I don't know. I'm allowed to say spoilers. I probably, I probably am, aren't I? But well, yeah, I, I've seen the film, All so. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm sure if people, whatever, <laughs> spoilers yeah, will the, be in it. But go see the movie or go yeah. check it out. Yeah, there's a nice shot near the end where uh, they're trying to break out, let's say, and it just looks a very cinematic shot of them trying to escape. So uh, hopefully, everyone can look out for that shot when they when they watch the movie. Now, uh, so knowing you, you're going to be shooting in these tunnels, and and Zara, you can maybe uh, speak to this. Like mm. planning out like a uh, fight choreography for tunnels can't be easy, right? Like one, it's all like hard surfaces. Where are people going to fall? Do you want to maybe talk about how you choreograph something kind of dangerous in a tight space? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um Matt was very um, particular about the, the tunnels that we were going to use for the fight scenes as well. So he already had a vision of where or what kind of tunnel we needed for a particular fight scene. Um, so when you know when the guys and myself were sort of choreographing the fights, we weren't thinking too much about which tunnel that was in at that particular time. But we then um, kind of rejigged the choreography and we we tweaked it here and there for the location. That then Matt said, "No, this is where we're going to shoot this scene." So then we then we had a better idea of, of how to kind of um, establish that choreography and, and where that was going to be placed in the environment um so we kind of initially when we were building the fight choreography just kind of thought about the fighting style and the story of the fight um you know whether one one character is winning the fight at the beginning or if it's quite evenly matched or you know or if it's going to be a kind of a quick kill fight scene or if it's going to be sort of more uh, lengthened out so initially we weren't thinking about the locations but i know that was very much on matt's mind um and then when we did 
sort of have the locations confirmed for where we're filming, then yeah, you're absolutely right. Some of them are, you know, hard floors and things like that. So, um, and, and I mean, depending on what the characters are wearing. So myself in the film, I've got like a little sort of tank vest on and, and, and pants. So it's quite hard to wear kind of elbow pads or anything like that, that you need to, um, you know, help with those falls and things. Even but kicking it was kicking cool. in those boots, like in like combat those, boots, that's, like, are they hard to throw those kicks you know, in? That is a very good question. Nobody ever asked me about costume and wardrobe and boots. <laughs> so um, I have quite small feet, really, compared to the sort of average person. And um, I always have footwear that is like two sizes too big. And um, in, in er anything, even if it's, you know, a big Hollywood production or whatever, the, the footwear is always... Um, not an issue, but um, this always doesn't, yeah, it never fits. So, yeah, the boots were a little bit big for me, to be fair. So that was quite awkward. But, I mean, the trousers were cool and it was, yeah, it, it looked good. You know, it looked good for the character. So we just kind of suck it up and get on with it. Um, do you rehearse yeah, wearing so the gear or do you just rehearse in, like, a gi or whatever? So when we did the initial rehearsals, it was kind of relaxed and um, kind of, you know, joggers, T-shirt, just normal kind of gym stuff. Um, but then we did rehearse in some of the uh, the wardrobe as well. And then when we got to set, obviously, we the rehearsals that we did were in wardrobe and in costume as well. Um, but, yeah, but the initial kind of rehearsals, we were just kind of thinking about building the fight, building the story. And then we adapted to the location and then, obviously, <laughs> what restraints the wardrobe might have or not. Um, but, yeah, that, that's a good question. Nobody ever asked question uh, i always wonder that i've mm -hmm. like i've done very uh, nowhere near the amount of martial arts you've done i just recreational stuff and uh yeah i always kind of wonder that i'm like I'm like how do you kick in those those shoes i'm like i have hard enough time just like in, wearing converse but uh on that same topic um do you want to talk about the challenges like doing something with martial arts with everyone wearing prosthetics like obviously there's the infected people the zombies or or yeah. what have you and and that's i know that like just keeping like prosthetics on people i know from experience is its whole other challenge in and of itself especially i'm sure in those environments and i mean now it's a little easier with led lights you don't have to worry about the heat of some of the bigger lights but like yeah if they're moving around they're having to fight like that's gonna bend and crack and i don't know if you want to talk a bit about that or yeah we, we to be honest we did very well with that i think there's a couple of bits where um obviously we we it we learned to become aware that if you put the makeup on too early it will start coming off right you know particularly <laughs> when it comes to the prosthetic scars and stuff uh so yeah I, I mean in some scenes obviously i think i remember the scene where zara was having a fight where i call it the butcher scene and uh one of the characters um obviously the amount of physical movements he's got to do we were struggling sometimes to keep the prosthetics on but you know that's part and parcel of any film i would imagine yeah um in, in dealing with that kind of dealing with that kind of issue but uh yeah so i think we you know makeup did a great job diane who who did the makeup she did a fantastic job and obviously some scenes we had a large number of um let's say the creatures and obviously there was multiple makeup artists doing multiple let's should i say face treatments <laughs> that's the, right, the polite right. way of saying it on on each character so we had to make each one look a bit different whether it's a scar on the cheek one on the head you know covering up partially an eye um uh, the, obviously the, this was a quite a big job to get them to do so many of them 
um, particularly on the days when we had quite a lot of extras. But um, for me, I enjoyed working with prosthetics. I thought it was great. And, um, you know, uh, fingers crossed, hopefully when you see it on, on screen, it all looks realistic. It was quite interesting to see how they did make everybody look different because some of them like had boils and kind of big things coming off them and some of them were a little bit bit tamer and looked a bit more normal, if you like, and then, yeah, maybe some scars and stuff. So that was quite interesting. I think as, as well, just from my sort of uh, experience with it, it depends on how much you sweat mm. <laughs> and um, how much of the physical movement you're doing. So, um yeah, some some of the guys were kind of doing a lot of physical stuff, so it was kind of like, stop touching it, don't touch it. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I think if you're not used to wearing prosthetics, that's another element to it as well, because it can, yeah. you know, it can irritate you. And if you're sweating and it and it's hot and things, you you kind of want to itch your face, and then you can't because you're going to pull the whole thing off. So, right. Um, I, I guess it's that if if you if you're not used to wearing it, then it, it becomes a bit more difficult for that person. But yeah, the makeup girls were were definitely on top of that. Um, passing everybody down and making sure it all was all good so with those those extras did you did you hire stunt people first and foremost or or just anyone that was willing to come come out and and if you just hired like normal joes off the street like was there any training involved because like some of them have to take some pretty big falls or, or jumps or what have you right uh, we were very particular about having anybody who had any of the fights or the falls was a martial artist or they had experience in performing before. So um, anybody that was um, sort of a featured creature or, or more backgrounds, they weren't necessarily fighting, but they had to kind of move in a certain way. So Matt was um, sort of directing them in their kind of animalistic movement and how he wanted them to perform. But they weren't necessarily in the fight sequences. They they might have had to run or move, but they weren't in the fights. But anybody that was taking part in the fight um, was either a martial artist, had screen experience, um, or, or stunt experience before. Okay, that's that's great. Um, how many days did you guys spend on set? Do you want to kind of bring me through what like a normal day of production look like? Yeah, I'm trying to think. How many days did we do? Was it? Would it have been thirty days? Was it? I think it was thirty-three. We actually had thirty-four days, but um, one day um, we were just rained off, and we we didn't shoot on one particular day. So it was, um, I think it was thirty-three days in total that we had yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, is some days we weren't some well, some days were overlong, and we had a you know ridiculously long days. Um, whereas others were a lot shorter because we were, you know, dictated to sometimes by the location in terms of you'd have set number of hours, you had to have it shot within that time. So um, it, the hours fluctuated sometimes from day to day. Uh, yeah. It wasn't always like a nine till six or a nine till seven. Some was like a nine till four or occasionally if it's a scene we really, everybody knew we had to work on and it was a difficult scene then. You know, we we had to have people stay longer on that particular day. This yeah. like uh, in the UK, is there union rules with stunt performers? Like you can only have like I know here in Canada, like if it's uh, an actor gig and they're actor stunt performers, um, like you can't go past a certain time, or certain people aren't allowed on set for X amount of times. Are, are the rules as strict there, or is this like kind of a non-union gig? It was a yeah, it was a non-union gig this particular one, uh, and I, th I think you know when you're doing those type of films, sometimes you, you unfortunately you have to use a lot of non-union say stunt performers as well because particularly in our country, if you know sometimes if you are union and you work on a non-union film, there's a 
bit of a stigma attached politics. to you. This politics. Yeah. 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 I so, mean, here too, yeah. right? Like, it, there's politics attached to. It. I don't know about politics. I would say, but there's just like they they make it incredibly difficult for for a small production to to go take place. You know, like you have to come in minimum like a million bucks to have like two guys talking in a room, kind of a movie. You know. Yeah. Yes. What, yeah. what we did do, we did make sure that we met the equity minimum standard for for the actors. Um, so they they got the minimum, you know, rate for for what Scale they were doing. Rate, yeah. On that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, much right. So if you know if they weren't necessarily performers here, they're on the stunt register, but they all had martial art backgrounds. So we knew that we could either do extra training with them, or they had previous previous experience or training so it was safer for us to bring those people in so like you sort of suggested we didn't just bring anybody in that was willing just to come and work for free or you know for do it at a a different rate or lower rate it was people that we knew had that experience even though they weren't necessarily on the store register you kind of need that too right just one like if you know you're up against the clock in all these locations you don't want to bring anyone in that might ruin a bunch of shots for you especially if you're throwing your body all over the place, you know, there's only so many takes you can do before you're like, all right, we got to wrap it up yeah. here. Right. Or, yeah. um, <laughs> so curious to know, Zara, you, uh, had mentioned that you actually used to compete in martial arts. I'm curious to know, uh, what the transitional sort of, um, I don't know, technique you, I might say like, uh, from actual fighting to screen fighting mm-hmm. and how those two things are very different. At least I think, and like yeah. how some screen no, punches, like, I don't know, I watched a fair bit of UFC and, you know, it's exciting for its own reasons, but like definitely not as exciting as more of like a Jackie Chan, you know, more of like a dance choreography, if you would. Yeah, different flow. And I think um, I think because I used to compete in kind of forms and traditional kata and weapons, I think that side of my competition career and for, for many of my friends in the industry, um, so people like Chloe Bruce, for example, and Ashley Beck and all these, you know, great UK stunt performers, they had like a forms background, not necessarily just fighters, even though they could fight as well. So I think that's important. I mean, I've done quite a lot of seminars, kind of screen fighting seminars and work with different people of different backgrounds. And the ones that are um, kind of real fighters, if that makes sense, or have been in the ring, they've been on the mats or, you know, whatever, it's much harder to transition to screen fighting because it's just different timing and, and, and uh, distance and range. It's, it's just is it's completely different. Whereas if you have a background in more performance, um, and that's, I guess, where kind of the kata and the patterns and the forms come in, um, you're used to kind of performing and having things sort of uh, choreographed or routines and that kind of thing. Um, and there is a big difference. And some people find that quite tough. Um, so I think because I had that sort of element as well and that, that experience, that background, it was kind of an easy transition. So I just kind of took that performance experience, um, and then tried to use that in front of the camera and use that experience and that confidence. It's funny, funny, like you, you see like martial artists that transition to like acting on screen and they do a movie Mm -hmm. And it's like they're fighting and the movie doesn't seem to always translate. But for whatever reason, like when wrestlers transition, it always mm-hmm. seems to look a little better. I don't know why. Just like that's Do just maybe that, a personal. You know, um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a showcase, isn't it? Like if you watch like, you know, wrestling shows and stuff, it's kind of the characters and the story and the performance. Yeah, it's, it's more sh- the of a show. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's about the wrestling as well, but there's a kind of build up to it. And I think um, with martial artists or fighters, you know, you focus on the fight, winning the fight and you, you fight game and strategy and all this kind of right. stuff. And you're not thinking about what people are watching or you might be thinking about your style or, you know, how you fight and your, your particular way, but you're not thinking about characters or story or I think it's a different element and that entertainment ele element of that definitely translates well to film doesn't it from the wrestlers that have done that yeah and then uh, to be fair now with like MMA there is a fair bit of pageantry itself but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you guys want to talk a bit about uh, releasing the movie during a pandemic and like uh, was that a decision you know you guys had like this was going to release anyways, you know, coming up or like, was there ever any talk? Like, should we hold off or? It's a touchy subject. This one, isn't it? <laughs> it's, sure. um, yeah. Well, me as a filmmaker, I don't, obviously any director would love to see the film on the big screen. Um, you know, the, it's where films are meant to be seen in my opinion, no matter what film you make, it's always, you always want to see it on the big screen, big premiere, Big sound and, too. That's what I, I yeah. miss. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, obviously it was disheartening that it, it did get like a, an online screening for its, for its opening screening. But at the same time, I have to understand we're, we're in extreme circumstances at the moment with what's going on in the world. And obviously that is the bigger picture. The safety of everybody is, is primary, mm -hmm. is the most important and films obviously naturally will come secondary for for all of us i think it it was a it must have been a very stressful time because it's trying to think are we going to be able to make the sales if the film uh, markets are not actually taking place you know because obviously we 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 haven't been able to get to the amount of markets we would have been if covid wasn't there so obviously that can probably restrict on sales but hopefully that will pick up uh you know, in the in the coming months, as hopefully we're getting a bit more to grips with what's going on. Um, but also, there's a huge market now online. Uh, Netflix, Amazon, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the streaming platforms are getting bigger and bigger. The budgets for those movies are getting bigger and bigger. And you know, even though yes, we could say Tribal is a low budget film, it certainly can hold its own on one of those platforms. Um, so, I think. Yeah, the negative side is obviously COVID hit. It's been a it's been a big problem, but we have kind of somehow got through it, and we, you know, I think we still have managed to gain sales on the film throughout mm -hmm. the pandemic. Yeah, there seems to be like a bit of momentum, and especially now it's been released in the UK as well. It's kind of a little bit of a snowball effect, which is really cool. But from the outset, the the goal was always to, um, you know, the pre-production, shoot the film. Once principal photography was done, get it into post straight away and we want to get it out there as quick as possible. We don't want to be one of those films where we're kind of waiting three, four years later down the line and there's still kind of pickups to do or there's still kind of editing things that we're focusing on. So Matt was very much aware of that at the start when Matt came on board that we wanted to sort of get this out and done in, in a you know, a quick time or the quickest time possible, but without sort of jeopardizing any of the quality of the film. So I think um, we, we still wanted to get the film out there regardless of, you know, COVID or not. But obviously we just had to adapt and change the way that was released initially. Yeah, like your marketing almost completely changes now. Like, like yeah. it's just I don't, like in a way it's kind of good. You know, people are home looking at their screens, but it's mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, it's tough. I'm, I'm genuinely just curious, like, how people are dealing with that right now. But 
Um, that's a good transition to talk about. You were talking about just trying to turn it around kind of quick. Um, mm -hmm. How long did you guys spend in post on this? And, and uh, if you want to bring me through a bit of, uh, bit of that, the editing process. Um, I'll just quickly talk about how long we were filming for because then Matt was overseeing the post-production. So we filmed for like 33 days, but we had three um, sort of production blocks or three shooting blocks. So we shot for a couple of weeks at a time. Then we had a break, um, and then we, which I think worked really well for us, um, especially with this low-budget film, because it allowed us to kind of see things that we needed or we'd missed. Um, we, that allowed us to then skip that in for the next shooting block. So we shot in three blocks, which was really cool. Oh, that's interesting, then, yeah. And then once those three blocks are done, it was basically um, over to Matt and over to sort of post. Uh, and then he oversaw that. So I'll let you sort of talk about that, Max. I think, was it about three months? Yes, two, three it months? was. I mean, it, it was on and off for about two to three months, I think, on post. Because obviously we were, it, it went to the edit and then I would obviously drive over to the editor's house. I'd sit there, I'd watch all the edits. We'd make some changes um, then he'd go back and he'd edit some more scenes and that was basically the procedure. After that, once the edits were complete, we tried to get a picture lock in terms of just the video content in you know from start to finish. So obviously I'd be I'd be showing it to uh, to Zara, to Vic, to Tom. And then once we all agreed that you know we were happy with the film, that's when it went to went to sound for sound design. And once we had the first rough cut, like the one without any sound effects or anything, that's when it went to uh, Stefan, who was doing the music in Los Angeles. So he would be able to look at the first uh, draft print, let's say, of the film, and he would just go through the whole film and do me a start to finish of all the music. So I was able to listen to the music while the sound design was being post-produced at the same time. So having the two of them working at the same time enabled us to basically get post-production finished a lot quicker. Um, but, um, yeah, we obviously did a bit of, uh, a bit of revoicing as well in some scenes and, um, yeah, sound design came out great. I thought it, it was all done in Manchester, um, by mm -hmm. Paul Munder, who's, you know, very talented. He, you know, he picks up on every single little nuance in terms of the sounds. And, you know, there's even a couple of scenes where you hear light static, just the, 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 the noise of the static. And, uh, you know, we, I, I'm very, very uh, critical when it comes to music and sound design because I know how much it can elevate a film. So, you know, I was spending as much time as I possibly can to try and get it as best as it could be. Yeah, we were for, we were for before obviously COVID hit and before post had finished that we did have a screening though, didn't we, Matt, in Manchester and we were yeah. able to see the film. Oh, that's nice sound, at least. Yeah, at least we did that. The sound was amazing and yeah, um, yeah the the sound was was really really good. Um, I think. Yeah, I think Paul was there and he, he was like, oh, you know what? I need to do this and I just want to add this and I just want to tweet this. And I was like, what are you talking about? That was great. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I just do this a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I think I think the main thing that we got from that test screening, because it was obviously done in the cinema with, you know, huge sound speakers, we mm. knew straight away some of the punch and kick effects needed to be louder, which was, you know, what we obviously we're doing the test screening for because we wanted to pick up on certain things so we made those louder and uh, I had a listen to it last night on my friend's 
uh, projector with his 5.1 system and it really comes across all the punches and kicks you know so uh, if you've got a nice sound system tribal will certainly sound you know great yeah and epic yeah. that's great that's great i like i like that but uh, to go back to so filming three separate uh, chunks at a time uh, that i guess that affords you in a way like a a way to get around not having to do pickup shoots and uh, and or reshoots so uh, but uh, i and i also something that uh, that you brought up uh, talking about the editing um, showing the Zara, the, the edits early on Zara, is that something crucial for you to watch and edit being a stunt performer? Like to be able to gauge like, Oh, this doesn't sell as well to me. I would use a different shot. Cause sometimes I don't know, editors, they'll look at something and then it makes sense in the computer yeah. or whatever in an edit. But uh, then as a stunt performer, you might say like, no, this is bad because of X, Y, Z. Did that ever come up or was it kind of like, absolutely totally get that and there's stuff I've worked on in the past where you know um not just myself but friends in the industry we, you know have done incredible fight scenes and performances and, and stunt work and then when it comes to the edit it comes across totally different or they've they've used maybe the wrong shot or there was a better shot that you know that, that happened that we got and the editor has used a different one or a different angle and it just you're like oh man you should have just used this bit but that's why uh, another reason why Matt was um so crucial to to coming on board of this because I already we had that confidence in Matt that he was overseeing the edit and he's got a really great eye for action so he would be honest and and you know say if something wasn't working right or or if it was working right so I had that confidence in him to do that but I think a lot of times as a stunt performer you don't really get to see the edits at all it's only because I was um one of the producers in the film as well that I had that you know that little bit of luxury where we could kind of see how it was going and uh, give a little bit of input along the way as well but I think we we totally trusted Matt on that as well to um make any corrections and if the editor was using a certain clip or a certain angle, you know, he had his production notes, so he knew which ones we needed to use, which ones were the good takes, which ones were the better takes. Um, so that was kind of covered. But yeah, usually you're totally right. You kind of, you don't really get to oversee that or have that privilege unless you're kind of involved in the production side of things. Um, so yeah, of course, like anyone who's working, you know, you want your performance to be the best performance and you want it to come out great. And um, a lot of times the action in films is always the the bit that gets cut back, um, especially for films running over time, you know, because you want to build the story and the drama and et cetera. And it's always the sort of fight scenes or the action scenes that get a little bit, you know, get dropped basically. Um, so yeah, totally happy that Matt was on board to do that and had that confidence in him. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for that. Um, the, the other thing I would say as well is, it, I, you know, for me, as a director, I'm very lucky to have somebody like Zara and, and Tom who are, you know, extremely physically proficient when it comes to the fights, you know, um, ex-kickboxing champions, taekwondo uh, champions, you know. So I think that when you watch the film, a couple of reviewers have picked up on this, and I'm glad they did, is we've shot the fights wider so you can see the kicks better. Yeah, you can I was see actually going to bring that up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was a conscious decision to show the performers doing what they could do because I just didn't want to fall into the trap of these films where it's just chop editing and, you know, it's cutting every split second and the wobbling the camera excessively just to accentuate the action to make the performers speed up. We don't need to do that with the people we've got in this film, you know. It just needs to show them doing what they do. So that was, yeah, obviously the style in which we, we shot for Tribal. 
Right. Or it's the shots like the, uh, you, you know, like when you show behind the, uh, the one actor, you're like, well, that's not them doing that. And then you show, <laughs> see the close up. They just like have like a aha kind of look. Then back to the behind them kind of, I don't know. Yeah. It was always, it's funny because like that is like a major criticism you always hear. Like, right. Like, you know, yeah. Hollywood usually like they kind of do that a lot. And then, you know, more like uh, Jackie Chan and, and, you know, those types of Hong Kong type films. It's always wide shots. They're always showing off everything about it and longer takes too. And uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. I've always found that just, it's like, it's like clearly this, other way works better and people love it but i don't know anyways that's a whole other topic of conversation um <laughs> matt you were talking about uh, music and how music is very important to you like when you guys are yes. editing and working on the film do you work with temp tracks are you giving the composer you know uh like i want it to feel like this but have have these elements or like how yeah, involved abso- do you get absolutely absolutely yeah i i had about three to five sample tracks from films and some of the films were 80s and 90s films and i would call stefan and i'd say i'm going to send you some sample tracks to the film but don't try and make it 80s or 90s i want you to give it a modern feel but just use the influences of the beats that you hear in these particular tracks so that was one of the first things i did i gave him some reference tracks from some films that i really liked what what were the films there's some bizarre ones ones you wouldn't even think about there was commando the arnold schwarzenegger film that's a good one Uh, there was malone a burt reynolds film would you believe which is it's got some nice some nice repetitive beats in there which i liked uh so you know some some certainly some ones you might not have thought of but also I sent him the likes of Transformers, you know, because the music's quite epic right. on that to get that epic feel. Um, so it's quite a mixture. And, you know, when, when you've got the right person doing the music, they can always second guess what you want. And you, you're not having so much of a battle back and forth when they keep doing a track and you just think, no, that's not quite hit, hit the spot. You want to do, you know, change it to this. Um, he seems to get it pretty much 90 odd percent every time. So, you know, that's obviously the blessing, but also you've got to pick the right people to work with at the same time. Um, but it, obviously in terms of music, like I was saying, it can really elevate the film. And I think in tribal it does, but the other thing I, I like to, I, I like to do is try and give characters a signature tune. So we had a Caitlin theme for Zara's character. <laughs> And we had a, a Kenning theme for Tom's character in the film, Rich Kenning. So that that was something I, I always like to do with films. And not every director likes to do that. They just score the movie. So I was very sp- specific with him in, in trying to adapt and try and get those particular styles and have them different for the different characters. That's great. I, I've, uh, I've done similar things like that, like worked with temp tracks to send to a composer, but... Uh, one composer I work with, she likes me to go through and do a commentary track and just talk out what I, what I want in different parts of the, uh, the score. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for whatever reason, like just talking it out, like a cue for that cut, this needs some type of whatever dramatic cue, we need tension here. And that seems to like mm-hmm. go like a long way too. I don't know. I, like, that's just something that's worked for me in the past, but. Um, that's cool. Uh, yeah. moving along. Um, so, okay. I want to get back to, um, 
some some of the uh, decision to release during COVID. But I was curious to um, did you shoot this having a distribution deal like going into it, or did you shoot this completely independent and and then uh, Evolution picked it up after the fact or? Yes, completely independent. So um, obviously, there's there's people that do it in different ways that some might get distribu- distributor on board partway through production after showing some of the rushes. But for us, I think we were just so involved in trying to get the film done as a team that mm-hmm. you know we we just dedicated all our time just to try and get try and get the film done. And I think the great thing was is because we'd separated it into three blocks. I think by block two. I think everybody had the feeling that we were creating something, fingers crossed, really good and, and, and very, very hopeful in terms of the quality of the film from not just the acting, but obviously the technical side. So I think we were all quietly confident that we would find a distributor that would do it, and particularly with it being a genre film, there maybe there isn't as, mu- as much risk as, say, a drama or a comedy, which can be risky, you know, whereas we're, we're shooting like an action horror, so... Um, obviously, I already had in mind a couple of distributors that I was thinking of. I think uh, Zara and Vic also had some in mind. And it was just, I think we're just very lucky that we got evolutionary films interested because they, they produce a similar quality of film in terms of action, high action content. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. And uh, like, so independently funded too. I don't know if you're comfortable with saying like, like uh, mm-hmm. rough budget numbers, what you guys spent on this, or like, you know, where where the money came from. Is there grant systems in the UK like there is here, or is there like government funding? There or? But we had no access to that, so we were. Um, it was kind of the private investment in the film, and um, initially the budget was fifty k. So when we approached Matt, it was like, right, Matt, we're going to do this film on fifty k, and Matt looked at us like. Um, that's crazy (laughs) you will make a short film for fifty thousand dollars yeah so um so we when we started filming we had 50k to shoot the film um and then we realized that look if we want to really sort of push this film and do as much as we can with it we need a little bit more investment so there was a little bit more investment that came in on top of that um and then with the post-production um you know another probably 10 to 15 that came on top of that as well so um it's under 100k it's it's pushing kind of 85 i still, i'll say like uh watching it like it, it definitely punches above its weight class uh budget wise if that was the number so congratulations yeah. to you guys for for making it look expensive right and that's always the battle right like in the indie world i know myself included like it's always making it look like every dollar you spend on screen looks like $10, right? Yeah, and that was um, sort of our our plan really from the outset, especially for Vic, is like, look, we've got 50K and let's make it look 250K. Let's let, let's make it look half a million with this money. But we we obviously had a low, low budget, micro budget film, but um, we used resources as well. You know, we did favors. We had favors done for us and, um, you know, people worked for lesser rates than they would do as, you know, for kind of mates rates. And we pulled in lots of favors, lots of volunteers that helped us out with things. So we had a lot of lot of support. And I think um, that was really testament to how well the film did, because it was such a team effort. Um, everybody collaborated. All the different departments were so invested in the film to kind of do the best that they could so we could get the best end quality products um, out it. there. 
I love that term, uh, mates rates. We say we say fr the friends oh, yeah. rates here, but oh, mate. uh, mates rates. I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> um, Matt, I wonder if you could speak to that and how you approach directing uh, something on a low budget, and, and knowing going in, you're you're working with a smaller amount of money, but trying to put as much on screen. And just talk about your process going into that. Well, I think um, just touching a bit on the original script, I think the original script, uh, there was some quite high concept scenes that I just don't know if we could have done on, on uh, you know, a low budget. So uh, obviously when the script got changed, we, we knew what budget we were working with. We had to adapt it. And also that helped with in terms of the action element. You know, sometimes the action doesn't cost huge amounts of money. Um, you just have to make sure you know what you're doing. Don't use excessive wire work because obviously that starts getting expensive. You're getting wire work teams in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were all we all knew what the budget was. You know, we when you look through the script, you're constantly looking at it to say, yeah, how you know which are the days which are going to cost more than others. Um, you know, which day do we need like lots of extras, lots of you know makeup artists. Um, and for me, the approach was was pretty much the same because once we had that script and the script was what we were going to shoot, you know, I had every confidence we were going to shoot it, you know, within budget. Um, but sometimes you let certain things get out of hand, like maybe the day rains and you're doing an outdoor scene. So you're delayed on that. And then you'd have to shoot an extra half day or something because you've been cut into by by something weather related or you know, um, maybe in a certain location, you can only have X number of hours up until three o'clock in the afternoon or four. And you might need to get just those extra few hours in there to to get the scene right. So you'd have to pick those up on another day. And I think that's how we obviously that's how we worked throughout the film. But um, no, for me, I, I you know, I, I knew we could shoot it with the budget we had. I think what you did as well, Matt, is we, we made sure that we um, didn't have too many special effects in terms of like CGI and post-production because that obviously adds to the budget as well. Um, yeah. So Jane Hyman made all the prosthetics for us and she's a makeup artist um, that I worked with before, uh, before as well and she's incredible at effects. So um, she came on board and made everything uh, for us in that sense. That was really great. Um, and even the explosion in the film, you know, it's not CGI, it's, it's a real explosion. So we, we tried to do everything in the best possible way um, within the budget, but, you know, to, to the best effect. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I saw the explosion and, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm like, I'm like, some of it looks good and real, but I'm like, it looks like they actually might have done it. But I was wondering if it was just one really good effect because I've seen some pretty convincing explosions in films. No, no, it's it 100% real. <laughs> real. I, I'll tell you what. Did you when, shoot that last you, hoping just in case, you know? <laughs> yeah, when you see an explosion in a film that doesn't look real, it really doesn't look real. It does. You yeah, know, I know what you mean. <laughs> and I hate to say it, there's been a couple of action films been released recently and, the, you know, the budgets are two or three million or something and you see the explosions and it... Sometimes the fire turns green and you're like, well, that's not right, you know, and you you can tell a mile off if it's fake. So 100 percent. The one thing I hate is CGI. That is the one thing I really don't like, you know. So coming into the film, I just wanted to use it as subtly as possible. And I think the bits we have used it in the film uh, are very subtle. You know, the blood splashes are not huge 
the you know the the quite small in the ones that we've obviously had to digitally recreate but certainly the explosion 100 percent real real that's yeah. great that's great i uh i appreciate that and it's on it look as somebody my background is a bit of vfx too and so okay. i i know going into into shots i'm like okay yeah look we can probably pull this off but like i've had a few people approach me in the past and they hand you a script and you're like you you're never going to do this with cgi it's just not going to happen <laughs> not with the amount of money you have just like build a prop build like find somebody that can make something you know do it do it for real i don't know i uh i know like there's like always the back and forth like chris nolan's always the guy right like i want to do everything real in camera but you know there are some good convincing cgi but like it's just time and place the right thing for the right shot right um mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so moving on to uh your marketing and all that obviously you're saying everything's kind of had to change uh because of covid of going to like the film markets and whatnot so uh, do you want to talk about how you guys got hooked up with ross at uh at uh, evolution films obviously for any new listeners ross was on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago uh, talking about his film um and we got into uh, lots of great conversations about distribution and in the film markets and whatnot, but uh, maybe you guys can just let me know, like, how did you guys uh, get hooked up with him? I think we've, we've both known Ross for many years, haven't we, Matt? Um, yes. Many, many years. I know uh, Matt's worked with him as well before. Um, Ross was directing a, um, a film that I worked on years ago called Warrior S, and we've got, you know, similar friends and, and connections in the industry and things like that. So it's quite a small world, really, isn't it? So we, we've both known Ross for a long time, and I think... Um, when we were trying to figure out, okay, who are we going to approach? Who are we going to go to? I think that if I'm right in saying, um, Mike Leader might have suggested to go to evolutionary films because of the type of films that they sell and they distribute. It was very similar to what we were doing with Tribal as well. So um, I think it was kind of um, you know mutual connections and and sort of uh, friendships and things like that that sort of put us towards Evo. And then um, yeah, Matt, Matt suggested them as well. Um, yeah, and they, you know, when we approached them, they they loved the film and wanted to take it, so that was great. Yeah, yeah um, I don't know. If, I thought you were going to say something there, Matt, but uh, I mean that's great. And uh, obviously, finding like a place for your film film to live is is an achievement in and of itself, right? Especially when you set out not having any any home for it just yet. But uh, maybe bring me through some of the uh, marketing campaigns and strategy you guys had. Um, like, did you guys start any type of social media while filming or before or like is it just after the fact that you're dealing with uh, you know trying so, to promote it or i have a funny story for you adam so on set when we're filming um so vic one of the producers is all about marketing he's all about social media he's all about building a fan base so he was like come on matt we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and matt was like no no no, don't show anything nothing don't let anything out <laughs> and um vic was like you know we want to you know, tease the audience. We want to kind of build the fan base. And I think we did that really well with our sort of fan book, uh, Facebook um, like page and things like that. So um, we worked really hard to kind of build the audience and fan base, fan base and um, build the sort of anticipation for the film as well. Um, so that, so that was great. And then also, but not being able, not, sort of not giving too much away and too soon, but kind of having it, um, you know, a little bit of a strategy to kind of, um, timely in a timely manner kind of put out little clips behind the scenes or you know cast interviews or just stills from the film and things like that and that was kind of a gradual process um but i think definitely 
um, especially in today's age, social media, building that sort of platform on social media, um, I think has has been essential and uh, a great part of the the film marketing because um, there's a lot of people that were interested in the film before we even finished filming. And then obviously everybody who's worked on the film now, they all have their social media circles. Uh, and I think that's really helped to push the film out there and create this momentum and this kind of snowball effect. But I think social media, um, regardless if that's, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever that is, it's so important. And I think there was a time when you wouldn't put anything out because everything was top secret and um, you wouldn't want to do that. But I think now you you sort of need to kind of drip feed a little bit of something to get that interest and engagement. Um, so that was kind of the plan from the outset, but not to give too much away and to sort of have that gradual build up to the release of the film. Yeah, I've gone that, like, Matt, I can sort of relate. Like, if you're making something, you're just like, I, I can't think about this right now. This is too much. I'm dealing with too much right now. But, like, I know myself, like, like having done the not talk about it at all until it's ready, and then you're playing catch-up the whole time, so... You know. Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, obviously, I, marketing is not my forte, and it is definitely Vic's forte. Uh, yeah. One of the, the producer on the film, you know, I I totally understand. Whenever somebody says to me about marketing, I totally get it, and the fact that you have got to start pushing it out, and like you know, like Zara was saying, drip feed people gradually so it builds up that momentum, the interest. But like you say, yeah, I'm just totally focused on the film, but at the same time you do have to have that online presence and start building that online presence, you know, because it's so important now because everything is online, you know. Gone are the days when it was a poster in a video shop window, you know, that just (laughs) doesn't doesn't happen anymore. Or you got lobby cards in the cinema and that was the only way you knew what was coming. You saw these eight lobby cards in the window. Uh, Everything now is just totally social media uh, based and dependent as well. And like Zara was saying, we're, we're fortunate enough to have, you know, quite a big cast in the film. They're all sharing it with their friends. Hopefully their friends will see it and it'll just have that snowball effect in in the fact that we're getting to reach this wider audience just through social media. Did you guys have... I think it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, I think it's hard sometimes to kind of control... Um, you know, maybe some of the cast or crew that are so excited because they want to show something. So we were very mindful and had a bit of a watch out. You know, people have signed NDAs and stuff. So um, we had a private production group as well. So we were very aware that people want to sort of promote something and um, say what they've been doing and what they've been working on as well. So we were quite mindful of that. So in our private production group on Facebook, we would give them um, kind of certain stills or little clips that they could then post out. Um, so that it, w- it was kind of... Um, you know, people knew what they could post or what they could say instead of kind of, you know, giving out spoilers or posting things or, you know, there's certain characters in the film that people didn't know because they'd not seen the film or seen anything of that. And we wanted to kind of hide that to a certain point. And just, you know, we had a a strategy in place to kind of release certain images or characters at a certain point. So we wanted to make sure that we could kind of have control of that, but also give everybody something that they could you know put out themselves because again everybody's on social media they want to sort of say you know i've been working on this i've been doing this and a lot of times you go oh i'm working on this but i can't say anything so we were very aware of that as well but we we hopefully tried to um manage that in the best way that we could without sort of giving spoilers away at the at the wrong time that's all social media right it's just people saying they're about to do something (laughs) 
I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just my friend group <laughs> that just talks about doing stuff and doesn't do stuff. Just kidding, friends. Yeah. Um, so um, does uh, how much does uh, Evolutionary Films do for you guys uh, marketing-wise? How much is it up to you? Uh, do you want to talk a bit about like their role in the marketing of the film? Um, so they have uh, like a little bit of a marketing plan. Um, but it's, it's not just down on those guys. It's our film. And we feel... Um, that as much as they're, you know, our sales agent and distributor, they'll do, you know, things to a certain degree. I think it's also important as a filmmaker and, you know, for your own film to make sure you're pushing that and you're marketing that yourself as well, but not just relying on um, on evolutionary films. They've done a great job. They've put out different clips and they've got kind of a strategy and a time, time frame and a time plan of when they're going to release certain things um, and in contact with us about that so we know what they're doing and when they're doing it. But I think it's very much a case of us also um, making sure that we're on top of that because, again, like I said, we've got a, a big support group with the film that then when we would put something out, they would like share that like crazy and put it out to all their friends and then their friends. And we that had that kind of snowball effect. So once evolutionary films have put something out and then we shared it, it kind of had that knock on effect, which was great. But then we wanted to make sure that we were drip feeding things at a certain time as well. So I think it was quite 50, 50. They had their marketing plan and, and sort of strategy that we worked alongside. So we tried to kind of sync with each other as much as possible in that side, but without just kind of leaving it down to them to take it because you know it's our film and we want to make sure we're pushing it in the best way we can totally that's great yeah. i mean also do they are you guys in constant contact with them like let them know hey we're doing a facebook uh whatever like a paid promotion or something this weekend we want to know did we hit okay doing that or does that ever come I up or I mean, yeah, the good thing about evolutionary films is they've got, um, you know, different people in different departments. So uh, they have uh, Nadia, who's kind of their marketing um, expert, their marketing person. So anything like that, you know, we'll, we'll speak to Nadia about. And if it's anything technical, we'll speak to Ryan or anything on the creative side and connection, you know, we'll speak to Ross. So there's, there's, we knew who to go to and who to speak to about what part of that. So um, Nadia was in contact with me quite a lot just about the marketing plan and what the release time was and the time frame and what was being released and how that was doing. Or, for example, you know, a lot of the cast and Matt and myself, we've done quite a few sort of interviews and um, sort of podcast stuff, which has been great. And, you know, the films had a great response. So that's been awesome. Awesome. and sort of just you know coordinating that as well so it's we've definitely been in communication daily well, that's good. <laughs> you know if not every other day or so so yeah definitely it's been a team team effort oh, that's good uh matt i was wondering to your perspective on that like and i know you're just talking about how uh you know you used to have just such a small amount of marketing maybe just a poster or like you know a vhs cover at a at a video store back in the day but like now it seems like as a director or producer you're almost having to be some type of online personality and promote stuff in that way i wonder if you could speak a bit to that about you know trying to market yeah. the film i i've found a new i've found a new person within myself over the last few weeks <laughs> I, i'm sure zara, zara will tell you i hardly post anything on facebook or right. instagram i'll do a picture every two months or every three months you know i'm just not one of those people that has that kind of dominant online presence and mm. i just think <laughs> one thing to be honest one thing that vic has opened my eyes to and he's absolutely correct is you've got to 
really promote yourself. You've got to really promote the film. You've got to really promote everybody involved in the film. It's so important that everybody cross promotes as well. So, it, you know, I, I've been obviously putting a lot of posts out for the film <laughs> nearly every day. Um, <laughs> but but you know it's good because even my friends some of my friends have been messaging me saying oh, i've just seen your film for like the hundredth time promoted on facebook <laughs> and i'm yeah whoever's doing your marketing is doing a really good job so you know it's obviously getting out there and people are seeing it and you know the i think the positive thing for us is is the the amount of views we had on the trailer after like a week you know, it wasn't. It was. It was a lot, wasn't it? Wasn't it like seventy thousand after a week? That's amazing. Or, so yeah. you know, it's, it, it's yeah, absolutely skyrocketed. But you're absolutely right. That's kind of snowball effect. But I think one of the things that we came into this production with as well is that as much as we're sort of all artists and creators and we want to produce something amazing. You know, it's also you got to treat it like a business as well. So right, you know, and yeah. that's where the marketing element comes in and what you need to do to make this a success or to sell. And, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's pointless having a, you know, an amazing film or a great film and it just sits on the shelf and nobody sees it. Um, so I think we were very much, it was very much in our minds to make sure we could get this out as much as possible so people can see it, whether they like the film or not like the film, that's different, but you know, we're getting the film out there. And, you know, it's that seven times rule in it. Sometimes you've got to see something seven times to be able to or to, to buy something or to feel like you're invested in that, that you want to go and buy that. But right. I think the rule of three, that right? That's what people, well, at least that's what I've, I've heard, right? You have Some people have to see th something, three different sources before they'll, like, it clues in for marketing. Yeah, and sometimes seven different times. Yeah, or, you know, seven, a hundred. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's just seeing it again and again and then actually going, oh, you know what, what's this tribal film all about? Let me have a look at that now because I keep seeing it all over the place. Um, and that's testament to everybody that's been sharing and liking and commenting and supporting the film. Um, and that, again, just is testament to the sort of the teamwork and that camaraderie and family feel that we had in the production. Well, that's all that's all great. And uh, I got to say, it's uh, it's inspiring uh, for myself to hear uh, that you guys were able to pull something off that looks so expensive for, you know, you know, under one hundred thousand uh, dollars. So very much a congratulations to the two of you and to the whole team. Um, I wanted to I want to try something different on the podcast. I, I thought about this thing at the end, maybe asking indie filmmakers um, and other people in the industry, just a series of just blanket questions. Uh, and uh, so if you would come with me on this journey of uh, the first time <laughs> trying this out, uh, I've come up with just just a handful to start out. I'm sure it'll just it'll get bigger or it'll go away. This will be the only time. Maybe it'll be a failure. Um, so before we start, before yes. we start at it. Um, can we just determine like who's going to answer first? So Matt, you want to answer first? Yeah, sure. Good no call. Problem. Yes. <laughs> okay, um, there we go. <laughs> that'll give you some time to think. Um, <laughs> so. You like my plan? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a plan already. This. <laughs> uh, um, so the first one is uh, something about like a mystery about the film industry uh, before you got into it, but now you understand it, and then something that's still a mystery to you about how something works. A mystery about the film industry. Yeah, something um, you maybe just didn't understand, how something got done, made, or, you know, what how, what went into something. And then that, like, you know, if you understand it now, and then something that's still a mystery about the business, quote unquote. Well, for me, 
I'll go into the technical side. It's obviously how to shoot a fight scene and maximize your time efficiency on the day. You know, um, when you first start out, you haven't got a clue because you're just putting the camera there and you're just trying to get, you know, all right, we'll do a side shot. Okay, then we'll show the the hero. Then we'll show the villain. Then what do we do next? So fight scenes, I think, are very, very tricky to film. You've got to really have that kind of brain to... Or, or watch a lot of fight films to know how to shoot a fight film. Uh, because obviously there's points in the fight where the characters suddenly get a punch in the face and they suddenly need makeup. So that's why you have to separate them into blocks. Uh, when I, Obviously, when I worked all those years ago on Underground, that was something that it taught me. Um, because obviously you were having to put it into blocks. You had to shoot a block at a time. You couldn't have, say, the first few moves are three punches and then four kicks you couldn't then go into the next sequence because obviously the certain character hasn't got their makeup on with the blood where it's meant to be so you'd always have to shoot that particular section so for me it was understanding the mechanics on on how to shoot a fight scene and do it in the right kind of way knowing which angles to do and in what which order to do them i think that's the best way to answer the question I can give you an answer because my mystery is all about, okay, we've made a film or we're going to make a film. How do we sell the film? Like, what are we going to do? What, where do we start? So for me, it was about mainly the post-production and um, the deliverables of the film and making sure that we ticked all the boxes and had all of the elements that we needed to go to Evolutionary Films or, you know, whoever the distribution or sales agent would have been, but Evolutionary Films took it on, which was awesome. And just making sure that we, we did everything or... Um, had everything that was asked of us to be able to deliver the film, um, to be able to get it out there to the different territories worldwide. So for me, that was kind of the mystery and a bit of a learning curve. And um, some of the elements of that, I probably still don't understand. But um, that was that was, that was was very interesting for me and definitely an eye-opener of what we need to do. Because when we go into the next film, now I have a much better understanding of what, okay, you know, we know how to shoot the film now. We know what's required in terms of the cast locations, all this kind of stuff. But now we also have a much better understanding of what we do once the film's finished and where we take it from there. The barriers are kind of broken down in, in a sense for that yeah. in your mind. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. Next one I thought I'd ask. I, I know the advice for other filmmakers is kind of something that uh, gets put out there a lot, but I thought I'd just spin that a bit. And uh, I wonder what kind of advice you would have given yourself like 10 years ago when you were however long ago before you got into the industry. That's a very good question. What advice would I have done? I think I just would have kept filming and filming and filming and not have any gaps, you know, because when you have gaps and you have long periods of time, like a year or two years, you know, you have to almost reinvent yourself and go back to the drawing board and think how you shot the one a year ago. Whereas if you keep going and keep going, you know, you, technically you'll get better and better. Uh, I don't want to mention any famous director names, but uh, there's some famous directors who started off doing NAF films. You know, the first couple of films were rubbish because right. they're just trying to they're trying to find the feet. They're, they're just like... They've been given the chance, and just because they keep working, they get better and better and better, you know? And practice does make perfect, particularly when it comes to films. Obviously, you do have to have a certain degree of, of creativity, and there has to be some, some kind of talent there to, to do it and know what you want to do, in, for me, in terms of shots and how to film it and the angles and the framing. But uh, at the same time, you know... Um, 
I've really, really learned over the years that you just got to keep as busy as you possibly can and not, not have any quiet periods. Um, you know, so hopefully after tribal, um, you know, it'd be great to get back as soon as possible, really, to 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 keep going. Mm, absolutely. I think I think for me, um, kind of similar. I think I w- we would have done this earlier, or I would have done this earlier, and. Um, you know, it's great when you get auditions and you get castings and you get put forward for roles and things like that. But I think for me, um, being more proactive and sort of um, having more belief in in myself and, you know, my partner and working together that we, you know, that we can do this and we can achieve something, we can make a film. We, we can, you know, create this from concept and, and actually get it out there now. So I think... For me, I think, um, you know, when you have those doubts and things, well, can we actually do this? You know, all these other kind of questions and, you know, maybe not that belief that you need. I think that's really important. I think probably would have done this sooner and then we might have been on the third or fourth film. I don't know. But, um, yeah, definitely. I think if you want to go ahead, do something, then I think, you know, have that belief and and find a way to make it happen. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know people won't like to hear about successes in the industry, but uh, I, I'm always intrigued by failures. So I wonder mm-hmm. if you wanted to talk a bit about any type of failures you've had in, in the industry, uh, as embarrassing as they are. But uh, I know myself having gone through things that have failed or fallen fat, flat on their face. Um, there's, there's something to learn from it there, and, and we can all learn from each other in those types of scenarios. So I wonder if you guys could talk a bit about, about that. So, yeah, I can I can definitely tell you one. Um, I mean, obviously, reflecting on it now, I don't feel as bad. But at the time, obviously, it was devastating for a number of years for me. Um, in back going back to the year two thousand, uh, in nineteen ninety nine, I'd shot a TV pilot for a film in Liverpool called Mersey Cop, and uh, it was a forty five minute TV pilot that I acted in, directed in, choreographed, did everything, edited it. You know, I was a bit of a one-man band at that at that point in time, and uh, we showed it at a film festival in Liverpool. We had the commissioning editor of Channel Four who was there, and he he gave me his card. He said, "I want you to phone me up on Monday because I'm really interested in this in this TV pilot, maybe turning it into a series." So I phoned him up the following week. He said, "Can you come down and meet me in London? I've got a couple of staff I'd like to introduce you to," and basically just straight up he introduced me to the production company that was going to produce this 10-part series of Mersey Cop and it was going to be on at 11 o'clock at night uh, on the four later slot in Eng- obviously in England we channel fours are one of our main channels so and the money was big <laughs> so obviously at the time I didn't have much money and I thought wow this is really going to be something anyway I was going to meetings for about eight months I was going down to London for about eight months and then suddenly uh, it hit the skids because uh, the commissioning editor left his post and the person who came in looked at the projects in front of them. And then suddenly I get a letter in the post from Channel 4 saying, uh, we're one of the projects that's been rejected by the new commissioning editor. Not even a phone so, call? They just sent you a letter? Sent me a letter, yeah. Brutal. Sent me a letter, uh-huh. yeah. And I've still got the letter. I don't know why, but I've still <laughs> I've still got the letter. But um, at the time, I was devastated, you no know. Doubt. No so, doubt. Uh, yeah, and it just goes to show you, even if it takes 20 years, you know, you can come back if you still believe in yourself. Jeez. Yeah. Absolutely. Yikes. That's a good one. 
Yeah. I don't think I'm going to top that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, not many people know about that one as well. No. So, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, sort of, you know, having sometimes when you, you think something's going to happen and you're pretty much 99% certain you've got the role or you've got the part and then turns out you haven't, that's always very disappointing and very, yeah, you kind of take a step back and um, build yourself back up again kind of for the next role or the next casting audition. But I think sometimes when you put so much effort and work into a particular film and then the film doesn't come out as you sort of thought or, you know, hoped or um, it, it, it's kind of edited, whatever, or, you know, the the production company just want to get it out there and they've not, they don't really have that heart or that passion to kind of create something really special and have of a high quality production level. They've just kind of put it out just because it's just business and it's just, okay, well, you know, we've got this film, we're going to turn it out, there you go, it's done. There's, there's kind of no heart or passion behind it. That, that hurts sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think for me personally as well, when I had my knee surgery, just not being able to kind of do the roles or the films that I really wanted to do at the time just because I couldn't walk <laughs> or um, had crutches and stuff. It's I think it's kind of one of those things in, in this industry is quite cutthroat, isn't it? So if you're not kind of seen to be working or you're not you're not relevant and then you're kind of forgotten and then like Matt said, you kind of almost have to reinvent yourself and build yourself back up and, and network again and find those connections and things like that as well. So um, yeah, sometimes it, it can be quite heartbreaking, some of the stuff that happens, and you just got to find a way to, to get past that and then and move on. Um, and there's always going to be something around the corner, but it's hard sometimes to sort of build yourself back up. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I know, like, myself having had, like, some pretty decent failures in the past that I was like, Jesus, how am I ever going to get out of this? <laughs> but um, that's, a, uh, that's a good point to just you know, get yourself off, dusted off and back in it. Um, so sort of wrapping that, that segment up, I'm just curious to know what's next for you guys. Um, and also before I get onto that, I'm going to put it at the start of the podcast too. I'll, I'll add it to the uh, intro, but, uh, where can people actually find the movie? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot. I'm meant to be going first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, if to, it, at the moment, I believe it's available in Walmart in the USA. You can get it. Uh, in, uh, I think it's on Blu-ray and DVD. It's also available on Amazon in the USA as well. Uh, we've had it released in Korea uh, about a week or so ago. It's also out in the UK on all digital platforms such as Amazon, Sky Movies, um, uh, YouTube. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's obviously a, a several other countries it's going to get released in, which I, th I think I think Zara will know more about on these. I think Poland's one, is it? And uh, Japan. Japan, Turkey, um, you know, Asia. There's, there's, there's quite a lot of territory that's going to come out in as well. But in the UK especially, it's on all, you know, all digital platforms. So it's on our yeah. Sky Store, our Virgin Movies, yeah, Amazon Prime. Um, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft, you know, all the main digital platforms. And then obviously, as Matt said, in, in the USA, it's in so Walmart uh, and Amazon and stuff as well. That's fun. Walmart. That's a good spot to have it. Uh, yeah, no, no, I don't mean that like in a bad way. Like, it, like a lot. I used to I buy like so many movies from Walmart just based off the cover. Just at least I used yeah. to. Now I buy everything online. But uh, it's really funny. In the states like our artwork is completely not our artwork 
um, <laughs> which was, you know, down to the distribution or the, you know, whatever they've decided they wanted to do. So they bought the film. So that's cool. But um, yeah, I think when when I first saw it out there, I was like, I I think I thought that the film had been ripped, and I was like, <laughs> just stolen. Bible, like, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, they they sort of changed the artwork up and things like that, which hey, you know, that's me, got, that's me on the cover. <laughs> These people are not in the film. Yeah. I, don't know if I, should... <laughs> I had a um, similar thing. Uh, like, uh, we made an action movie about ten years ago, and uh, we got this like Japanese distribution deal, and they sent us like artwork of what the cover of the DVD was going to look like, and we we're like, whoa, this is so cool. I don't know. We yeah. didn't see a, a cent from it, but we're like, I guess it's. It's out there in Japan somewhere. Well, we didn't even see this artwork. We only saw it because it was released. But that was funny. But um, yeah, whatever sells in America, you know, whatever. I think it's because it's an action film. They've they've opted for a different um, different sort of um, DVD cover. But I think one thing that I would like to have is a physical DVD um, with the tribal artwork on there as well we've got quite a few people um, obviously it's on all the digital platforms and people watch stuff at home on their phone tablets computers and that's kind of the way things are moving forward isn't it so dvd sales are kind of really down over here in the uk but i would like to have um some physical dvds they don't go um, away though like the dvd sales like i, I i've talked about this before but like people still want to have physical media i think yeah and there's yeah. at least in the states i don't know if this happens in uh, in the uk at all but there's a fairly decent market that people do with libraries cuz libraries will just buy a blanket amount of stuff just to have inventory of it so i don't know if that ever happens in the uk at all but yeah no i don't think that's sadly that's not happening over here i think we've got kind of limited resources now in terms of I, I think the majority of the DVD stores and Blu-ray stores have, have closed. You've just mm -hmm. got them in supermarkets like Asda, which is obviously an affiliate, isn't it, of Walmart. Mm -hmm. uh, so in England, it's, it's called Asda, which is a supermarket here. It's got groceries, it's got clothes, and it also has a small little section on DVDs and Blu-rays. And the, it's usually just the top 20 or the top 30, something like that. So, you know, it obviously has that, quite eclectic bracket so you know you've got obviously all your named films in there um such as your doctor strange you know with zara in um right and uh you know movies like that so it, i think it can be quite hard to break into those markets as an independent film but also online they're still selling physical copies so uh, like particularly like jackie chan he's having a bit of resurgence over here because there's companies like 88 Films and Eureka mm -hmm. who are who are re-releasing his films, but they're all based on online sales, but they are physical copies, but you won't find them in the shops. You have yeah. to order them through Amazon or through, you know, HMV or whatever outlets we have in this country. So the mm -hmm. physical media is definitely still there for collectors, but what they tend to do is they limit the units to about two to three thousand it could be a two thousand press or a three thousand press right and that's how many units they will do so obviously all the fans rush out pre-order them and those three thousand units or whatever are already are already pre-sold yeah. yeah that's good i yeah and I, I mean that's a whole other like i guess conversation topic is just how you sell that and that's just trying to get your numbers up too with uh with making your money back for for something like that especially since you said it was sort of 
private investment. So like you want to be able to pay back investors and show like you can you can do stuff like that. But uh, we'll move on a bit. Um, I did want to talk about festivals with you guys. Did you guys get any film into any festivals or did that just kind of go away because COVID hit? Uh, we did get into a few festivals. It's been um, uh, accepted and nominated for Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Music, music Score, Best Film, um, Best Action Film. So, oh, yeah, it's got, in, it's got into a few festivals. Um, but I think a lot of the film festivals have suffered, haven't they, as well with COVID? And some of them have either sort of gone online or they've sort of postponed the event as well. So um, I think the sort of COVID situations hit all different areas of um of the sort of filmmaking business yeah it's tough right now yeah. eh? Cause it's like i know like uh like myself like uh, some shorts i made were in festivals during covid but it's just like it all went online and it's kind of i don't know it's not as fun like i i do sort of like going to a festival when i when i can and like you know interacting with other people that make stuff and just ch- talking to other people you know how'd you make this how'd you figure it out whatever but now it seems yeah. like you can't really do that as much. And when they go online, I don't feel like uh, you're watching other people's stuff as much, you know, like people will promote their own thing, but like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to just, you know, middle of my Saturday, watch some random stuff online. I don't know. Like <laughs> hockey's back on. I'm watching that. Right. Like, so who do you support? Can I ask? For oh, hockey? like the team. I mean, like yeah. uh, a cheer for the Montreal Canadians, but, uh, kind of the thing here a lot of people do it's like we just kind of want a canadian t- team to win again the stanley cup right so it's like uh the cup hasn't been raised in canada by a canadian team mm. for like a long time so right That's, how are the how are the oilers doing because they're, they're out they're out oh yeah uh, are all, you that, a hockey fan? all that money they spend on uh, mcdavid I, uh I, yeah yeah, I, I only know about the Oilers because part of my family is from Canada. My uncle, my cousins, uh, okay. they all live in Edmonton. So they're big Oilers fans. That makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Alberta's beautiful. Yeah, yeah Edmonton's kind of yeah. cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, anyways, what uh, <laughs> what's next for you guys? What do you guys uh, have next planned or what do you want to do next? Uh, talk a bit about that. Well... I think for me, obviously, there's there's a couple of possibilities in terms of scripts that I'd like to do. Um, obviously, I'd love to work again with Zara in the very near future. So hopefully something like that might happen uh, soon would be good. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give too much away. But uh, there's, there's definitely ones in the pipeline that I'm hoping will take off. But I just don't think they're going to take off this this year. I think it's probably going to be next year because of the the situation. The insurance costs are just crazy right, yeah, at the yeah. moment. And the fact that you've got to have COVID security officers and stuff on set and they're watching your every move and you know, I, I, it's going to be very tricky. I think for this year, unless you're a, unless you're a big budget, they're saying big like, budget yeah, movie, like yeah. million dollars to add to the budget on some of the bigger Hollywood stuff. To yeah, for, for and, and the rest, wow. I, I've heard it's yeah. a huge amount. I've yeah. heard we're talking twenty percent really, <laughs> on eh? the budgets on some. Yeah, it could. Obviously, it's it, surely it's got to get less. With you know, they'll they'll work out procedures on how to to make things better, but. 
at this moment in time, it's still kind of a touchy area. Yeah. 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 Um, so is it going to be like uh, martial arts you want to do, like another action sort of piece? Love to. Yeah, I'd love to do a full-blown martial arts film. Uh, obviously, staying, keeping it in the action genre would be great. Um, but to be honest, I, I never thought I'd do a horror film, and I, I did enjoy doing the, the part <laughs> horror, part action. I, I did enjoy it because um, you could play with the suspense part quite a bit as well. So, you know, I'll, I would love to go, obviously, back and do a horror again at some point. But for me personally, I, I love martial arts. So whatever I do, I'm always hoping to have quite a, a heavy martial arts content in it. You're not worried? Like, I always worry about, like, oh, I shouldn't make too many of this genre or whatever genre, like, about being pigeonholed as, you know, oh, I no. only make comedy or whatever. I don't mind being pigeonholed. I'll, I'll just keep <laughs> doing them. I'm fine with that. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm totally fine. Fair enough. Do what you like. That's important. Yeah. You've got to do what you like. If you, know, if you don't like doing it, it's no fun, is it? Um, no. Yeah, so hopefully, yeah, same same as Matt. So I've got a couple of things sort of in the pipeline, but um, one particular project is called Unit 19. It's in the pre-production right now, which is kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max meets um, kind of Terminator-type things, which is really cool, uh, action, sci-fi. And um, another film, which is kind of an action thriller called The Asset. So there's a couple of things that are definitely on the table right now. And then some other possibilities coming up. And I'm also presenting a martial art documentary, which is cool. Um, so I get to kind of tour the UK and tell different martial arts stories, different sort of backgrounds. And, um, yeah, I get to kind of visit different martial arts schools and masters and grandmasters. So that's really interesting, something I'm looking forward to doing. That's really um, cool. Yeah, so I'm people are doing that. But I think, yeah, with the whole COVID situation, 2020 is kind of written off a little bit. <laughs> Will you be appearing in Doctor Strange too? Uh, no. No? Uh, <laughs> so, I saw on your the, IMDb, obviously, you're, you're listed as the, the brunette zealot, which is coincidentally would be my, my rap name, actually. But uh, Cool. <laughs> no, um, do you want to talk a bit about that, or is that just kind of just you were involved in the stunts, or...? No, so I was the, so um, myself and my good friend Katrina Durden. She was the brunette zealot. So sorry, I was the brunette zealot. She was the blonde zealot. We all got sort of descriptive names. So initially, at the beginning of filming, we all had actual character names, but then they just turned descriptive. So Scott Adkins' character was the strong zealot, and then Alice Safi, his character, was the tall zealot. So <laughs> there was the brunette zealot. So we were basically the four main zealots in the film, and we were kind of mad, mad, uh, Mads Mikkelsen's or Cassidy as, as uh, kind of right-hand men, um, yeah, if you like, into the henchmen, in the, the baddies. And yeah, so it was cool playing a, playing a baddie. Um, and we kind of are there the whole way through the film, which was really awesome. So we were kind of, um, the role was actually, uh, uh, we were the cast, we were, it was an acting role, but it was also role it was kind of a dual role which was really cool so we got to do all our own stunts and we got to kind of work with the stunt department but then we were cast as well so we had all the benefits of that so that was really amazing and um the zealot so katrina and i the blonde and the brunette zealot lasted all the way through until you know dr strange sent us to the dark dimension and in the comics i think we turn into mindless ones um so yeah unfortunately i don't think we're coming back in dr strange uh. too but a prequel they can do a story a backstory you know about how the zealots um you know came to follow Cassilius and the whole story about that so there you go start talking yeah. talking about it maybe it'll happen 
Um, <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I know, like, uh, I figured that was kind of the, the role it was involved. I know, like, around here, uh, Toronto and stuff like that, like, a few friends, they'll pop up every now and then in something mm-hmm. big just because it's it's smaller here, right? So, like, it's just by way of it being a smaller product, like, a smaller place, and there's not a lot of people. It's like, yeah, my, uh, there's my friend in the background of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Okay, well, look, guys, um, I had a great time having you guys on the podcast. I, I genuinely enjoyed hearing about how you guys got made everything. And uh, and again, I will say it is inspiring to, to see other people making stuff on a cheap budget and making it look very expensive. So appreciate you That's both great. coming on the podcast and uh, and sharing with us and for coming down uh, this uh, the road of my new questions that I'm asking and be patient, being patient <laughs> with that. So appreciate that. And uh, just, uh, I guess, let everybody know where they can find you guys on social media now that you're posting so much. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> No problem, yeah. Um, for me, I'm on Instagram as Kung Fu Matty with uh, two Ys at the end. And also on Facebook as well. Uh, you can Google MJR Pictures or just put in my name and you should be able to find some of the social media accounts. Kung Fu Matty, why has he got two Ys, Matt? Because I unfortunately forgot my password and I couldn't log back in. <laughs> and I must have deleted the email address I associated it with. So, yeah. The, the, so it looks like I've got like an imposter account. So people are wondering which one's me. So I had to put official account on my account. And then I have my close friend saying, why have you put official account? That means you're kind of like famous now or something, <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, it's nothing it's to do with that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I'm on um, all the social medias at Zara Fidian. Um, and also, if you guys want to follow Tribal, you can check out the IMDb page and leave a review and a rating for us. But on Facebook, it's Tribal Get Out Alive as well. That's great, guys. And uh, everybody should, uh, you guys should check out the film as well. And the film did answer one question I've always had about zombies Do they sleep? And you guys answered that question in the film for me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks for having us, Adam. It's been real fun. Yeah, thanks a lot, Adam. It's been great. Game over, man. Game over. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Lost Commentary, on Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Commentary, and like us on Facebook. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>